everyone and welcome to the Ocean Impact Podcast. This is our 12-episode Pitchfest 2021 series where we chat to the people behind the startups making an impact on ocean health. Today, we've got finalists Geordie and Julia Kay from Great Rap. I'll be your host, Amelia Helt, and as usual, I'm joined by the man himself, Tim Silverwood. How are you going, Tim? Going great, Amelia, and how nice to sit down with these divine humans, Julia and Geordie, and learning all about their very rapid journey as Ocean Impact founders. It's just incredible. First of all, they seem like the loveliest people. I think people are going to really enjoy this podcast. All of our finalists are lovely people, but I think this was fascinating because they're very relatable and everyone will know what I mean when they listen. That's it. And, um, you know, they they really are so, they are the example that I love to hold up. Between them and Sam Elson from Seaforest, I'm like the Australian ocean impact startup scene is rich and raging when you see the success of these two startups and the people behind them. Because in both cases, there's this sort of sense that, you know, something bigger is compelling them to go and embark upon this journey. They don't need to go and find a compostable solution to cling film, but time dictates that we can't keep using petroleum to go and create this stuff to wrap around pallets and cover your food and pop it in the fridge. We need to be thinking with the circular economy. We need to be thinking with the planet and the ocean at the front of mind. And these two took it upon themselves to be the change. And I love people like that. It's so inspiring. It does pump you up, I think. And again, you know, it's a nod to Australian innovation I mean, for everyone following along, Great Wrap is a home compostable cling wrap that they make by diverting food waste from landfill and converting it into the main ingredient. Their current product line has options for home, so you can replace your regular cling wrap, for catering, um, and also for pallets in the form of pallet caps and coming very soon, pallet wrap. I think you can pre-order that on their website. Ultimately, it's a far more circular model that they're continuously improving on, which is, you know, as you said, they don't have to do this, but they are. And more to the point that they're improving very rapidly from when they were finalists in Pitch Vest to now. What an incredible journey. That's it. And remembering as well that it takes a lot to build a startup and to, to get it resourced. And in the case of these guys, huge infrastructure and machinery and factory costs to produce and scale this kind of endeavor. And so they're getting really well supported from the Australian impact investment community, people that really do care about leaving a positive legacy whilst raising and increasing um, their funds. So I just think this is, again, really indicative of what gets us so excited at OAO about the role of Australia in the global ocean innovation space. Exactly. And I think you know, drawing on a common thread from a lot of these interviews for me, Julia is a former architect, Geordie is a former winemaker, and, you know, it's common that a lot of these people have a totally different background than the startup journey they're currently on. But I've always believed that, you know, knowledge you gain in one area is usually transferable to lots of other areas. So you take Julia, she's looking at the process it takes for materials to arrive for an architectural project and then the waste that is resulting afterward and being told by her peers that, you know, it's part and parcel of it and and that's just part of the industry and part of the process. Or you look at Geordie, who was a biodynamic winemaker and looking at 
find, you know, from the farming of the grapes to, to turning that into a product, how good it can be to work with nature. So then, you know, they ended up with the brainchild that is great rap, being highly creative people, looking at how you, you pick a problem, you know, for them that was palette rap. How do we solve this? And they did. To go from where they were in their journeys to where they are now seems like a leap, but it really isn't. Yeah, probably a really good opportunity in this context for this episode because I think this is going to be one that will get a lot of listens and it will stimulate a lot of people to think, oh, well, is it my time to jump out of my existing career and be a Ocean Impact founder? And I've had some really interesting conversations recently about this, even in the context of the climate crisis. We don't need everyone leaving their job to go and try and be a founder because it isn't for everyone. So first and foremost, think about what you can do in your current industry to make improvements and how you can upskill yourself so that you can start to make little incremental improvements on the side because you don't want to go leaving your job. Not everyone gets a successful run at this like Julia and Geordie um, have done. So just keep that in mind. And remember that OIO offers a really exciting program coming up soon called the Ocean Impact Ideation Program. This is if you think you want to be a founder like Julia or Geordie, but you don't really have the knowledge or the skills to be one, do the six-week ideation program and just learn the basics of what it takes to be a founder or to join a team. A much better thing than just downing tools and going and starting a business because they're not always successful. Yeah, we're definitely not encouraging everyone to uh, to quit their jobs, but yeah, you're exactly right, Tim. After people listen to this episode, I know that they're going to be so you know pumped and inspired um, and driven to take action. And the ideation program is kind of the perfect starting point if you're not sure and you want to get a little bit more knowledge behind you and under your belt. So. I hope you enjoyed this. I know you will. I'm really looking forward to seeing the comments and reviews on your takeaways from this episode. Tim, any final words from you? Yeah, just really keen to hear your feedback. Share this one around. Um, and this can be the start of many great things for Australia's ocean impact innovation community. Well, I'm incredibly excited to have on the Ocean Impact podcast, Pitchfest 21 series, Julia and Geordie Kay, the founders of Great Rap. How are you guys? Great. Thanks for having us, Tim. Very excited. Pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Oh, look, you guys do a really good job of, um, of telling the story. You know, your website goes through a bit of detail about the reasons behind Great Rap, the work you're doing, your respective histories. But let's hear it straight from your mouths. We would love to initially start with learning about the, the problem that it is that you're trying to solve with Great Rap. You know, how big is it? And why is your solution better than other solutions that are out there? Good question. Sure, sure. I mean, so I guess, you know, at large, we are trying to tackle the single-use plastic problem. Um, we were really frustrated in our respective industries, um, obviously, by the huge amounts of waste. Um, and we decided we needed to probably pick one product that we could sort of, you know, really get our teeth into and, and kind of solve. Um, and we we actually came across pallet wrap, which to a lot of people, they go, oh, um, you know, what's the deal with that? That's so random. But we actually saw it as this huge opportunity. I mean, pretty much everything around us at the moment, like, you know, my laptop, my phone, Geordie's glasses, um, was probably wrapped on a pallet at some point for transport. Um, you know, so there's a huge amount of this wrap 
that exists, but it's kind of in the background. Um, so, you know, Australia puts like 150,000 tonnes of pallet wrap into landfill each year. Um, so we were like, okay, if we can solve that, then we're already having a huge impact. Um, so that's how it all started really with, with the problem. Uh, I mean, obviously there's problems outside of pallet wrap, but we just saw a huge opportunity to just reinvent the material it was made of. You know, I think we know that there's a lot of problems with recycling, even though um, everyone's intentions are good. I mean, as a statistic, it's not really looking that healthy for recycling. So we were like a compostable alternative would really solve this problem um, so that we can sort of, yeah, have that impact. We'll have to go into your histories and careers in a moment um, but just want to dive a little bit deeper so you know you've looked at an item um, that is made traditionally out of a petroleum feedstock you've seen the vast quantities and diverse applications it's being used and I said hang on there's a circular solution around this this stuff needs to be compostable is that kind of as simple as identifying the problem and developing a solution as it was uh yeah not really um but no i think you know for us um we knew the feedstock couldn't be um petroleum um when we were tackling this problem um we knew it needed to be something that could could break down um i think you know every piece of plastic that was ever made in history um still exists today um and we're still producing about a million tons of petroleum-based plastic every day that will never disappear. Um, so we need that needed to change. Um, we also knew that uh, food waste uh, is the third largest um, greenhouse gas emitter on the planet. Um, so it's um, the largest, if it were a country, the largest uh, greenhouse gas emitters would be um, would be China, then the US, and then um, and food waste would come in third. So it's, it's an enormous problem and a great opportunity. Um, so, yeah, we kind of knew that those were the kind of problems we wanted to solve. Um, there's a lot of research that had been done, but we found it hard to find anything that was sort of commercialised. Um, and that was something that we were really sort of excited to work in that space and, and began working with Australia's largest university, which is Monash, um, back in uh, 2020. Um, and, you know, have since sort of developed some pretty exciting technology with them. So good. Well, you know, you've got a big fan of, of the circular economy over here uh, as your podcast host today. And, you know, the, <laughs> the big messages that have been coming out of leaders in that space for a long time is just that simple hypothesis that unless we replace petroleum feedstocks with naturally occurring, ideally waste additives, then we're not going to achieve this circular economy. So we'll dive a little bit more maybe into the technology in a moment. But Let's go back a little bit to your respective careers because this is fascinating and you've touched on that you both had interactions with diabolical levels of waste. Um, Geordie as a winemaker and Julia as an architect. Maybe just give us a little bit of a snapshot of your why you both felt so strongly about solving this problem and how that relates back to your existing careers. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm happy to happy to talk about my career first. So, I mean, yeah, um, as you mentioned, my background was in architecture. So prior to Great Wrap, um, you know, I had a really, really exciting career. I was building everything from sort of art galleries to education buildings um, locally and overseas um, for quite a big sort of architecture practice. 
um, the thing that stood out for me the most, I mean, I was obviously obsessed with the materials I was building buildings out of. I mean, you know, that's your most immediate touch point with the built environment is what it's made out of. So you're, you're spending immense amounts of time there. Um, and then, you know, I guess you get out on site and you see all of these materials that you've chosen to sort of, you know, um, build with and, and they're wrapped in pallet wrap and there's a, just huge amounts of waste on site. I mean, we've all seen big skip bins full of just construction waste. I think, you know, it's, it, it's like one of the largest um, industries for waste. So, I mean, I was, I guess, really frustrated by that. Um, I saw a heap of opportunity and, and quite frankly, like, I saw a lot of amazing minds just being fine with this amount of waste and kind of accepting it as part of the process. And I was like, actually, this isn't fine and I don't want to keep doing this. Like I, I want to start to make a difference. And, you know, I thought maybe it would be a building material, but, it, you know, we we both spoke about pallet wrap and I'll let you probably talk about your background there and yeah. it's pretty exciting. Um and first of all, sorry about the um, background noise. We're in tropical North Queensland for anyone <laughs> listening and there's heaps of bird action right now. So um, probably adds adds to the depth a little anyway. Um, yeah, my, my background was in wine. I used to make natural wine. Um, so sort of uh, farming with uh, regenerative farming techniques um, and through the lens of, of biodynamic farming um, and then made wines without using any sort of chemicals uh, or other additions in the process. Um, and so I guess really like going into compostable packaging is probably, um, a, you know, uh, didn't make a lot of sense at the time, but now it actually does make a lot of sense because it, it is very similar and it's all about using plants um, to mimic nature. Um, and it's sort of a form of biodesign. And, yeah, it's it's been a really easy and, and natural fit for me uh, I spend a lot of my time uh, I guess on the technical and manufacturing side of the company um, and uh, yeah we're constantly looking at ways in which we can incorporate waste as different forms of additives and um, using kelp um, and sort of um, how we can you know include that into our manufacturing process and and materials sort of science um, side so yeah I don't know like it's something I've always worked on since I was about 15 in terms of working with nature um, to create things. And um, I did study very briefly um, agriculture and um, chemistry and biology, but um, wasn't much use for me now. But it, it is good to tell investors that to give them a sense of calm. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love um, to talk a little bit more about that technology. So let's imagine people tuning in today are sort of learning about compostable plastics for the first time. So who's best places to talk a little bit about the technology and you know, how you've come to ultimately, you know, an ingredient mix that is working for the, the products that you create at the moment? Yeah, happy to dive in. And um, I guess like, first of all, compostable packaging, it's a minefield, like it's really confusing. Um, and I think there's different spectrums, so different spectrums of feedstock. So there's certain compostable packaging that can come from quite heavily farmed, um, you know, sources like cornstarch um, that can contain heavy metals, nasty fertilisers, um, use huge amounts of water and land. Um, so, you know, obviously it, it can be quite problematic. Um, then there's, um, you know, I guess compostable packaging that, 
does break down in a compost, but only in, in industrial composting conditions, which are quite high temperatures um, and still wouldn't break down um, necessarily in landfill or your compost at, at home. Uh, and then there's home compostable, um, which means it can break down in ambient um, composting temperatures. It would most likely break down relatively quickly in landfill and, and uh, it wouldn't emit methane. It would just simply break down into carbon and water. Um, so we sort of focus on the biopolymers or the bioplastics um, that are in that, that space that um, can readily break down in any environment, um, whether it be the ocean or landfill or your compost at, at home. Um, and then focus on ones that are, are made from that sort of um, waste feedstock. So we, we focus on potato waste, um, specifically like we're really interested in the starch. Um, and so, you know, we could look at other forms of, of starched waste as well, um, but we're looking at really specific um, sort of feedstock. So we can't like mix all of the different food waste from your food and organic collection service um, from your local council. Like we're working with specific french fry manufacturers and taking the reject french fries um but we could take sort of starch from just about any feedstock um and then yeah i guess other sort of um folks out there in australia um just as a starting point um are focused on uh, like ulu in western australia are looking at uh, you're probably interviewing them for this or if not you will in the future um looking at um seaweed and kelp i'm just going to pause for a second yeah, as a tipping it. bin is pulled up <laughs> right behind us so yeah now that the that garbage truck is gone um and it was collecting green waste i just checked um so <laughs> um great rap could go into that that bin and, and be composted um and I, and I think this is the cool part about compostable packaging as well is it's, it's end of life um, is that if that organic waste could become carbon that could go back into a, a garden, um, then that could really help combat um, climate change as well um, because it is putting carbon back into our soils, um, which is a massive carbon sink that is yearning for more carbon, unlike the atmosphere or the ocean um, that has too much carbon. Our soils um, really need that carbon um, matter to sort of, combat climate change. I might just jump in there and add, I know this part's at the end of our chat, but we are looking for a life cycle engineer whose full-time job would be um, helping us facilitate that process with the end of life of our product. It's something we're really excited about. And I've got a feeling that anyone that is listening to this would be a great fit. So <laughs> just want to pop that in there. Yeah. Because I guess you identified it is a minefield, this compostable landscape and the um, the work is still yet to be done, right? I mean, not just in constantly improving material science, but really getting into that end of life. And, you know, if you guys mm. are so comfortable talking about it, you know, we do talk a lot about the impacts of leakages of compostable materials into the environment and the ocean. And, and that can create its own suite of challenges, right? Because what is going to be breaking down in a compost um, might not be what's going to be breaking down in a waterway or the ocean. Can you kind of mm. speak to that particular challenge for, for getting into this industry of compostable packaging? Yeah, I think it's it. Like it's, it's trying to find a process that's um, the most natural in the way that it sort of does break down. Um, again, different types of biopolymers um, can be pro problematic at their end of life. Um, Biopolymers like thermoplastic starch or TPS um, and PHA um, 
aren't problematic. They 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 can add huge amounts of value to a compost pile, um, and they only require bacteria to break down so that they can break down um, quite easily in the in the ocean and and not cause huge amounts of leakages. Um, or toxins being released. Um, There's also, you know, I mean, like that 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 is an amazing ability that these materials have. But I mean, the biggest piece that's like the most important is obviously this education piece. I mean, like we don't want to be using huge amounts of plastics and them to be ending up in the ocean. Like, yes, it's great that we've solved yeah. what happens if they do. But I mean, it's like a, a step earlier that is the hard, really hard part, which is a big behavioural shift, I think, as well. Yeah, and yeah. weaning ourselves off this fossil fuel addiction that we've um, allowed to overtake us for the last, you know, five or six decades. Totally. Yeah, yeah. and I think too, like, um, you know, in, in bioplastics and compostable packaging, but just in packaging in general, we need to decrease our consumption much mm. like we have carbon emission targets. Um, we need to have the same, and it doesn't matter what, feedstock or what it's made of and how it breaks down we simply need to use less packaging uh, and come up with solutions that are better um, because ultimately um, there's still you know energy that goes into making products like ours and there's still transport Mm. and logistics and and it does solve a great problem in the immediate term um, but we still need to focus on solutions um, that are more reusable or um, that uh, you know can curb um, plastic consumption. Yeah, I mean, I think like plastic manufacturing was actually up like twenty percent or something crazy last year. You know, like it's mm. it's the demand is on an upward trend. It's not like we're coming up with solutions, and it also demand is declining. So it's mm. a bit of, bit of a scary situation um, that we're in. But um, obviously, a lot of amazing businesses working in the space too, which is very exciting. But that's a, all the more reason to be so excited about the kind of industry that you're getting into, right? Because I'd like to imagine that we do see radical action on curbing fossil fuel extraction and therefore utilisation, but the quantity of fossil fuels that are going into the manufacture of the diverse suite of plastics out there is going to keep driving that demand. So unless we have this pioneering research into using waste feedstocks to become that next generation of materials, we're not going to be able to have a true you know, fossil fuel reduced dependent future. Mm. Yeah, 100%, uh, definitely. And I think too, like, um, you know, the, the only real challenge here is is not that the products work, it's just getting mm. them to a price point um, that means that the big companies um, around the world that, are, you know, are going to take this on. Um, and so I think if we were to put as much um, sort of research and energy into um, streamlining oil and gas for plastic production, then and if we put that into um, biopolymers um, and PHA and TPS and and other sort of um, biopolymers that can solve these problems, then uh, you know the price would be at, at, at parity as well as performance, and it really wouldn't be a big deal um, or, or yeah. a big switch. Yeah, I mean that's exactly like it's a great point. I think like that's the reason plastic is such a big problem is because it it has been so cheap and so accessible for so many years. It's not like humans have gone out to like totally decimate our planet. It's just like cheap, performs well, so Mm. it's really accessible and everyone can use use it and make things from it. So definitely like accessibility is a big problem for us. Yeah, and, you know, that's why 
so important that the work you're doing um, that sort of brings together a community, mm. um, creates a conversation and and sort of fosters those startups and, and linking them with, with investors. And, and we need to just see more of that in Australia um, because we've been quite good for a relatively small population at, at leading certain R&D um, trends. Um, and, you know, again, like um, we're leading that in, in the sort of biopolymer world at the moment um, for, for our population, but certainly lagging significantly behind what's sort of been happening in, in Europe in the last sort of five years as well. I'd love to sort of loop back on, you know, what we were just discussing there in the sense that, you know, you guys as pioneers, you know, obviously working with institutions like Monash and great people, but, you know, the pioneering work that you are doing and Julie, you mentioned before that if that sort of attitude was being brought into these giant fossil fuel industries to look at how they can diversify and really lead materials research, we'd be getting there so much faster, but it's fallen upon your two slender shoulders respectively (laughs) to go and take this on. And does that then sort of seed into why I consider you guys as, you know, being really successful in this space right now? You know, you've got the support, you're sort of well-funded. People want to see you succeed. Is that because they're saying, well, guys, these guys over there didn't do it. At least these guys are. Is that, is that the sentiment that you guys feel? Definitely. I definitely feel like we've got a whole team of like people cheering us on from from the sidelines, you know, like yourself. It's like everyone sees the problem. They understand the problem. They understand what we're trying to do and they're just like, go for it. Like, I think it's also, it's super motivating and it's really fun like um, to be doing that work. Like it, it's it's so like if ever you needed more motivation to get up and like do your job, it's like no one else is doing this. Like we have to do this, I think, don't you reckon? Yeah, definitely. I think, um, yeah, it's been quite flattering um, to see a cling wrap company yeah, that- <laughs> do so well. Um, like, yeah, we're um, lucky to have constant media attention and um, inbound traffic from massive companies and inbound traffic from investors. Um, and, yeah, all we're doing is making stretch wrap. Um, so, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, it's super encouraging. And um, and then when you see, like, our, you know, our commercial factory, which we're just about to commission, um, it's an enormous scale and be one of the largest um, plastic extrusion factories in the Southern Hemisphere. And, um, I don't know, three years ago, it was just a kooky idea. Like, yeah, um, there's not many, I guess, petroleum plastic companies that can grow that sort of fast and have that much support um, because, yeah, public sentiment is so strong. Exactly. And it's like a really like we feel really optimistic about the future of the planet because we have seen this support and it's like it's it's demand from consumers asking for these products. It's not like we're trying to force um, alternatives down people's throats. So it's really uh, very optimistic from where we're sitting, um, I think, which is really nice. Yeah, and obviously it just sits so firmly in the OIO wheelhouse in the sense that, of course, we have a, a global mandate to support and accelerate startups doing great things to help improve ocean health. But, of course, we want to see Australia as a centrepiece in that equation because, like you identified, Geordie, we, we have got a legacy of great R&D and fantastic institutions. So why not turn that into commercial opportunities? And maybe there's a future where Australia doesn't have to just keep 
digging up our turf and selling it to the highest bidder. We can actually export leading technologies and solutions like Great Wrap. That would be very nice. It's a nice very I- nice future. It's a, it's a nice idea. <laughs> Feels a bit romantic at the moment. <laughs> Indeed. All right, let's go a little bit into um, you know, the journey, which it appears quite short. Obviously, you've got your careers that led you into these moments of um, of developing Great Rap, but you know some of the key achievements in that time. And a a question that a lot of the people listening to this series particularly love is is learning about some of those key challenges as, as ways to help people on on their respective journeys. Mm. I think, like, I mean, we could talk, we could bore you and talk about the whole journey, but I think probably the most uh, momentous decision in in Great Rap history <laughs> for us uh, was probably that moment. I mean, obviously, we we launched with a, a direct to consumer product that we'd had manufactured overseas, um, and you know that allowed us to start talking with our consumers. It started, you know, hearing hearing people's feedback on what we were trying to do, and that was really critical. And the biggest thing that was loud and clear was people saying, why is this not made here in Australia? Um, mm. You know, so that was what prompted the decision for us to, you know, set up our own manufacturing facility and, like, you know, define kind of the rest of the journey today. Like, I think that was a really, really big shift and that was driven, again, based on on the sentiment, which was really, um, really cool. I mean, so now we have two factories um well we're yeah as Jordy said six weeks away from sort of being the largest manufacturer of stretch wrap um which we just could have never possibly imagined at the start of the journey would you say yeah definitely yeah I think like in short you know yeah we launched with a prototype as Julia said we listened to customers set up that that first pilot factory um we raised a small amount of investment got some some government funding as well uh, and then really proved out the concept, build a team, and and now have launched. Uh, we're about to launch this eleven thousand square meter um, factory, um, and it's like it. I don't know. Like each problem, like some seems so small and in not insignificant, but seems relatively small compared to the problems that you might might face now. And like I remember when we brought on our first team member, and they gave me their um, tax file number and superannuation number and I was just like what the hell what do I do with this like how do I how do I do a pay run like you know like just and then you're really freaking out and you're like trying to call a friend from high school that went on to become an accountant and then they kind of help you out and you sort of it's just like all these little like really basic things that you kind of learn that it feels like the you know just such a massive challenge oh my gosh, for that yeah. day and then it's like um it gets much bigger and um, you realise you undershot um, how much power you're going to be consuming by a 1,000 amps and you need to, you know, uh, build a $50,000 switchboard to power your machinery. And I don't know, like, there's just like uh, all these massive problems, like, but they feel equally as challenging. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's just been quite a funny sort of, um, I guess, sort of like journey in that re- regard. Um, and... Um, you know, since then we've now gone through three investment rounds. We've received much larger government support uh, and grants, which you know, obviously incredibly grateful for. 
Um, and we now have someone that manages that pay run internally, um, mm. which is, <laughs> is quite an achievement. It is. It's also, I mean, the great thing about bringing on investors is um, we've been really lucky in, in the fact that we've been able to attract really impact-driven investors. So mm. then they become, you know, your mentors and your network and you can give them a ring and say, hey, have you come across this? Um, because it's really stressing us out. Um, and that's been so instrumental for our, our growth. I mean, we couldn't have really done it without that sort of support network around us I don't think yeah amazing yeah no I think the having aligned people in your corner with the capacity and time to help you navigate those challenges sounds like that was worth their weight in uh, weight in gold um I'd love to go a little bit into sort of you know where you are at now and a little bit about sort of where you're planning on taking the business in the next sort of 12 to 24 months, if you wouldn't mind giving us a bit of a, a glimpse on that, please. Sure. I mean, um, probably um, I guess we see a really, really big and bold future for Great Wrap. I mean, you know, the dream is to be manufacturing sort of on each continent from local waste and serving all of those global markets. Um, so I guess what we're doing about that in the immediate future is um, we're going through a bit of like, I guess, a brand evolution at the moment, which is sort of about maturing the way we speak to our audience and um, really building that trust and quality in our product um, that we want to sort of be able to communicate with. So we're doing that. We're, we're launching this factory um, and we're also um, preparing for a launch in the US in August, which is very, very exciting. Um, so we're just really wanting to start that sort of conversation on, on a global level. Um, we've learned a lot from our Australian audience and now we're really excited to share that. Um, the team is growing pretty rapidly. Mm. <laughs> um, we're la launching Pallet Wrap, uh, which is super exciting from our telemarine facility. Just so much. Yeah, I think for me, like the most exciting thing is the technology's improved a lot more. So the quality yeah. of equipment we now have um, that we've been able to get financed through a bank for is amazing. So we were kind of essentially working with a system we built from stuff we bought on Alibaba um, to now using the most highest sort of quality equipment um, ex available. Um, and, um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, it, it's been pretty exciting um, for me to sort of work really closely with the manufacturing engineering team and, and the R&D team. Um, so now we can um, we'll very shortly stand behind a product um, that, you know, does literally look and feel exactly the same as, mm. as petroleum plastic um, and uh, that was always the goal like we're just such a customer centric business like we solved this problem as as customers with the frustration um, we we didn't sort of start a food waste startup um, and like that wasn't the reason why we started great wrap we started it because it was this really annoying problem called like with pallet wrap um, and no one was doing anything about it. And so now finally it's like we've kind of reached this really exciting point um, that we've been working towards for three and a bit years now. Um, and, yeah, it's really said, like, it's the really fun part where we get to scale that up globally and yeah. um, we're, like, working with some of Australia's and the world's largest retailers, manufacturers, supermarkets, transport companies. Um, we're fully engaged in conversations with them and, and we're launching Pallet Wrap in September and are so excited to finally roll this out with all these big companies. Yeah, it's very much um, like go time. I think, you know, 
it feels as though, I mean, obviously Great Rap is our baby. Um, we don't have children, but, you know, it's very much like at the time when um, the babies learnt how to walk um, and it's at its first running race. I feel like I would describe the phase we're at right now like that for sure. I feel like, yeah, like every founder um, you speak to, regardless of how progressed they are in the company, um, are always they're always apologetic for like the product and or the like website or whatever it is that they're doing um and i feel like now I've, we can become a lot less apologetic um, we hope in theory <laughs> um you know just for like how our products made and and the systems and the technology and uh and and the brand and um just all of these things that we've been trying to fix for so long um are finally working <laughs> no need to apologize i'm sure your community has been supportive even through the ups and downs is um is you mentioned obviously the global expansion which is super exciting is is rap the future of great rap or is there more that you have up on your mood board about the potential of the business to diversify i mean obviously there's a huge demand and need for for rap but what's is there anything else that you're going to reveal to us we can, as great rap as a company can have the most impact through scaling as a as a stretch rap um, company. So like um, for us to kind of add some new product lines on at the moment would hold back the growth of of stretch rap just being because of what finances we can access through banks and um, and sort of waste sources and and there's a lot of reasons why we just want to become the world's largest stretch rap company very very quickly. Um, but we're definitely working on. Um, what's next after that um, and how it could sort of feed into to great rap or align very strongly with it um, but yeah I think for the next sort of like three years it's it's just a hell of a lot of stretch rap um, but we're definitely thinking about what comes in the next five to ten years as well and uh, look, I mean, it's obviously going to be in in um, solving the problems in plastics. I mean like yeah. I think probably you know important to know that the technology that we and the team have worked so hard on developing um, isn't specific to stretch wrap uh, and it has sort of like a vast array of applications which is really exciting for us but as Jody said I mean we've learnt um, in this journey that when you try and do too many things at once you can um, you know the wheels fall off a little bit so we're trying to really refine uh, one process before we branch out. <laughs> That's really great advice. Um, Speaking of advice, we're going to spend a little bit of time now on this question, which I think um, founders and prospective entrepreneurs really love, which is around, you know, your key learning. So, you know, one or two key learnings from each of you on your journey as a, as founders would be really helpful. Yeah. Would you like to go first? Or... Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, like I just sort of pretty much already said it, which is um, always focus on your customers first, um, build a business for what people actually want and need, what you, not what you think they want and need. Um, so don't make assumptions. Um, have as many conversations and engage with as many customers as possible. You could have this really cool novel um, product or solution, but whether people will actually pay for that or whether it actually does solve a problem and it is truly scalable is a whole other sort of question. And, um, yeah, I've found, like, when we've made mistakes as a team, is when we've put kind of our own interests first rather than really trying to focus on that customer first. Um, 
And uh, it's just like so important um, is to never lose sight of what the customer wants and needs. Uh, And obviously, you know, think of Mother Nature as a customer too. Yeah, I'd probably add to that. So um, for your reference, I spend a lot of time with my ear to the customer directly. So um, if you're doing that as a founder, it's it can be quite hard sometimes. And I think it's important just to make sure that you um, be kind to yourself. Like if you're trying to do a good thing and you get upset when people don't agree with what you're doing that's okay it means you're doing something that you really should be doing and you're passionate about it Um, but it is important to make that space to go no like what's the big picture here this is one person's opinion like really um, because it can be hard Um, I also think really important uh, piece of advice as well as listening to customers I think um, listening to your team as well you know um, I think one thing that we do pretty well and hopefully our team would agree is um, collaborate. Uh, you know, we really, really, really try and get everyone's opinion on the way we're doing things and that so many amazing ideas and strategies have come out of that. And I think if Geordie and I were just trying to make all the decisions, we would have made a lot more mistakes than we have if we hadn't been listening, I think. Mm. Oh, fantastic. Really love that, guys. Um all right. Well, you sort of mentioned before that there is future hires on the on the draw um, on the cards. So let's talk a little bit maybe about um, areas that you do need help. Um, maybe you want to touch on some things that you haven't had a chance to speak to today yet that you thought you were going to talk about on the podcast. We might just sort of move towards wrapping up this fantastic chat. Perfect. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah, so, I mean, as as we mentioned earlier, we are launching in the US. So um, we do have a lot of opportunities coming up within our sort of growth and marketing teams. So if, um, you know, sharing stories around um, a better planet is something you're really into, definitely um, keep an eye on the Great Rap LinkedIn page and our socials. We also have some new products launching in the next month or so which is very exciting so I don't want to give too much away but just stay tuned (laughs) yeah so anything else you really wanted to speak to today and um, I guess we just sort of always wind up the podcast with a chance for people to know where they can follow the journey and uh, and obviously support you guys yeah look I think um obviously yeah head to head to our website head to head to us on Instagram or Facebook or, or or LinkedIn um and TikTok, which I still um am like so far behind. I'm like the the dorky dad. But um Yes, we have TikTok. We do have a TikTok <laughs> account. No, um but um I think too like if there are other founders um listening or if you're thinking about a new idea um and you're a little lost or just you know want to have a quick chat. Um, you know, feel free to send us an email. Um, you know, Julie and I are always happy to help out. Like we've made a crap load of mistakes um, and not to say our advice is is great, but, um, you know, we're you know, happy to be there um, as support um, for anyone that's sort of trying to solve um, a problem that does have a positive impact on, on the environment. Um, you know, we want to be there to um, mm. help out as much as we can. Definitely. And happy to share our network as well. You know, if we can't answer those questions because we haven't solved all of the problems yet you know there's usually someone we can recommend you talk to so definitely 
Well, thank you so much. I've absolutely loved getting to know you both over the last little while, and I'm just so thoroughly excited about your future, and I'm sure all our community are, so keep up the brilliant work. We know you will. Oh, thanks, Tim. Thanks so much. Thank you. Can't take the ocean out of me.